If you're anything like me, when there's uncertainty on the horizon, it's easy for worry and fear to take over. Throughout our Hope for the Heavy Heart series, I've been having a dialogue with some counselors to help us understand how we process these emotions. Listen as they give us input in terms of worry and fear. Worry and fear can also be one of those continuum type of uh, descriptors. And past fear, it can come into fueling where I'm almost like manufacturing potential outcomes and potential occurrences. And that just spirals into a very, very dangerous arena. For people that are fearful, there's some shame involved in that too. Like, what's wrong with me that I would feel that way? And I would say, we all feel that way on some level. Feel the fear and do it anyways to name fears and then find ways to expose yourself, sometimes in incremental steps, but to face fear, to deal with fear, to move into fear, to not avoid fear. If I avoid the thing that I fear, I'm throwing a little bit of gasoline on a small fire and it's just going to get larger. So many of the things that we worry about never happen. When people are gripped by fear and worried about things we are uncertain of, I try to help them find the truth of what's happening, whether it's through even statistical information, possibly, or, or looking at past successes or past peaceful times, past resolutions, something to help them understand that Tomorrow, while it's uncertain, and it's uncertain for all of us in different ways, we can have a sense of peace about it. There's two words we use when we're dealing with people with extreme amounts of fear. Acknowledge and believe. Acknowledge what it is that you're afraid of. Any kind of fear, if you acknowledge what the fear is, then you can create a system through which, or a plan through which, you can move beyond it. When we're thinking about moves to make and steps to take, we're gonna to try to put the fear as a non-factor or a low factor in making the decision. Let's like use other like value-oriented biblical principles as our best sources of information. The fear, it, which has that immobilizing component, I'm gonna always be trying to, to take that out of consideration. A couple of the ideas with regards to fear, and especially if it's as a result of what they have seen or read, um, is just reflecting back to, I can choose to not watch that on TV. I can choose to not read these journal articles or these blogs. And in doing that, I'm limiting the fuel that I'm inputting into myself that is keeping that fear component growing and, and brewing. You know, I can listen to scripture being read. I can read it myself. I can listen to music that's positive and encouraging. Those are choices I'm able to do to, to manage that input into my life. And even when the story isn't written the way I would want to write it, which most of the time it's not. And when I pray for something, I think I have it down in a way I want it to be, but God has another plan, but it's always been good. Psalm 23, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet thou art with me. That's, that's a life well lived. Bible with you. Go ahead and grab that right now. We'll be in Mark chapter 4 tonight. Mark, uh, that is one of the gospels, one of the tellings of Jesus's life. In the New Testament, we have Matthew, and then Mark is the second book. That's where we'll be tonight. Before we jump in, I want to remind you of a pattern we started last week here at Young Adults here on Thursday nights for our worship services here, and will be our pattern going forward. Um, during the sermon time, so when I get up to preach, um, we are going to establish that mass are going to be optional during that time. Uh, there's two reasons for that. Number one is that we are outside. Number two uh, is that we have set up socially distanced here. Uh, and so this isn't us kind of like changing a policy or going against what the government or the guidelines say. This is actually being us right in line with that. So if you're more comfortable with your mask on, by all means, keep that on throughout the service. But if during this time and this time only you want to take that off, go ahead and do that. And then we'll ask when we go into worship at the end here uh, that you would slide that mask back up. So again, Mark chapter four, that's where we're going to be tonight. I'm going to approach this text a little bit different than I usually do. Here's what I'm going to do. 
Uh, I'm going to read the entire story, the entire text that we're going to look at tonight. It, it is a story that if you grew up in church, which I know a lot of you did, uh, you'll be very familiar with this story of the life of Jesus. And if you didn't grow up in church, I want you to hear the whole story because first I want you to understand the story we're looking at, and then I want us to learn from that story tonight. So again, Mark chapter 4, if you got your Bible open, we'll start in verse 35. It's not going to be on the screens yet. Uh, we're just going to read through the story in its entirety. It starts this way. Since that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats also with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So this is the story we're going to look at tonight. It's the story of Jesus and his disciples getting on a boat, going to the other side of the lake. And on the way to the other side of the lake, they encounter a storm. They encounter this thing that is going to sink their boat. And Jesus stills the storm. And what I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about this story. I want to help you see this story more deeply, more profoundly. And most importantly tonight, I want to speak to the fears that all of us have. Fears about your life, fears about your family, fears about our nation or our world, fears about what's going to happen to a million different things. Uh, I want to speak to those things tonight. Uh, and I want to do so by looking at the text. So let's go back to verse uh, 35 here. We'll start here. It says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So, so Jesus and his disciples had done a day of ministry. They've been serving. We actually looked at the gospel of Mark earlier this summer, if you were with us, and we saw how Jesus's pace in ministry was nonstop. When he was doing ministry, he was all in on ministry. And then when it was time to rest and pull back, he was all in on rest. Well, what we see here is Jesus has gone, gone through a full day of ministry and they're going to get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. And if you actually look at the beginning of chapter five, you'll see what their mission is on the other side of the lake. It's this wild and crazy story that we're not going to get into tonight, but they're going from one mission to another, from one ministry opportunity to another, from, from one thing they want to accomplish to the next and it says that they're going to get into the boat. And here's what it says. Um, day is coming to an end. The evening is coming. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Like in other words, this entire story that we're going to read tonight was Jesus's idea to begin with. The entire story of the disciples going across the lake, being in a storm, experiencing everything they had was Jesus's idea in the first place. And I think this is important for us to linger on because I want to be really clear about something tonight. I want to preach this story in light of the truth that this is not the story of the disciples suffering the consequences of some poor decision they made. This is not the story of the disciples reaping the consequences of a very real and foolish decision they made. No, this is the disciples right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Jesus says, let's get on this boat and go to the other side of the lake. This isn't the story of them walking in rebellion to God and reaping the consequences. It's the story of them following God and experiencing turmoil anyway. And I think this is an important thing for us to set up here. As we think about fears, we think about worries, we think about the future, I need to be extraordinarily clear with you that no one would ever believe that our church would teach otherwise. I need to be clear with you that you following Jesus is not a guarantee that tough things won't happen in your life. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. I think when you decide to follow Jesus, you are signing up for a life of suffering. Like, I just don't want anyone here to be convinced that I am proclaiming a message that if you just follow Jesus, everything will go well in your life. And if you just have Jesus with you, you'll never be scared. And if you just have Jesus with you, everything will always be good. That there is no such promise in the Bible. In fact, the promise is the opposite. If you follow Jesus, there will be suffering. There will be hard times. There will be difficulties. The promise isn't that that's never going to happen. The promise is that it's worth it. It's that it's entirely worth it. That you'll look back a, b a billion years from now in heaven and you'll look back on this life and you'll be glad you followed Jesus. 
See, this is the story of them following Jesus into the storm. I want to make this really clear to someone tonight who's in the midst of their own storm and their family and their life and their health that feels in the middle of a hurricane right now. I want to be really clear that your storm is not evidence that the Savior is absent. That your storm that you are walking through, the thing you're dealing with right now, that issue that's come up against you, the thing you woke up thinking about this morning, it's not evidence that Jesus isn't in your life. Like this is actually the story of the disciples with Jesus in the boat with them. And yet they're experiencing this storm that they're afraid is going to take their life. I want us to be encouraged as we continue tonight in verse 36. It says, leaving the crowd behind him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. So I mentioned that if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story a lot. And, and I grew up in church and I, I heard this story all the time. And, and, and there was something I kind of missed along the way. See, what I always envisioned was that Jesus and his disciples are out in the middle of this lake and they're out there on their boat and there's no one there. So if their boat sinks, they're just done, man. They're all going to sink and drown into the water. They're out there in the middle of the lake and they're completely alone. But it was this week reading the text. I noticed something that I've never seen before which is actually one of the cool things about reading the Bible over and over and over again, is sometimes you notice things you've never seen before. You know what I never saw before this week? There were other boats with them. Like I've just never in my mental picture of this story had Jesus in his boat with his disciples and then a bunch of other boats along with them. I never had that mental picture, but that's what the scriptures actually lay out for us. So it's not that Jesus and his disciples get in a boat and they go all alone into the middle of the lake. It's that Jesus and his disciples are in this boat and they're going out onto the lake, but there's these other boats with them. And it doesn't say how many other boats. It could have been two, it could have been 10, it could have been 200. We don't know the answer to that, but what we know is that they're gonna experience the storm that I just read about in the middle of the lake where they're fearing for their lives, but they're not doing it alone. They're doing it with all sorts of other people in other boats watching them. Isn't this an interesting picture to think about for a moment? Like this is not the story of Jesus having a private moment of discipleship with his disciples. It's a moment where Jesus and his disciples are being watched by all of these other boats, however many there are, with him. I think the interesting thing here is this. I think the interesting thing is that all of these other boats are watching how Jesus and his disciples handle the storm. Let me put it to you this way tonight. I think the way we navigate storms will witness to the world. I think the way we navigate storms and difficult things will witness to the world that people are watching. Like here's the image, like we as Christians, I'm not assuming everyone here is a Christian, but those of you who are, who are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you love the Lord. It's like we're in this boat with Jesus and Jesus is in our boat and we're all in this boat together and the storms of the world are raging, right? But then there's all these other boats of different faiths or people of no faith people of different persuasions, people of different ideologies, people of different lifestyles, and they're looking in at our boat, going like, how are these people responding to 2020? Like, how do Christians respond to a global pandemic? Do they respond with compassion and mercy and grace and kindness and generosity? Or do they respond with a smug arrogance that looks down on other people? Like, how do Christians respond to government lockdowns? Do Christians respond in this smug, arrogant way that wants to defy and be strong and show everyone how strong they are in the midst of it? Or do they respond with humility and grace and kindness? Like there's other boats watching how we're gonna respond. Like listen, church, when there's civil unrest in our country, there's other boats watching in. We're witnessing to the world, right? When there's racial conflict and racial strife in our country, there's other boats looking in going like, what's the church doing? Those Jesus people in their boat with Jesus, what are they doing? And here's my question for you. Like if people were to look into the boat you're living in, like what are you witnessing to the world? What do people see in you? What do people see in your life? Do they see anything that's different? Or like, have you just kind of flowed along with the entire tenor and tone of our culture and all of the things that are wrapped up in it? Like, I'm just convinced of this. I'm convinced over the last seven months, people have seen the church. Uh, they've seen how we've responded to it. And again, I think there may have been some beautiful ways. There may have been some ways we've fallen short. But what I'm convinced of is this, that people are continuing to watch. And listen, I'm not concerned with any other church out there. I'm not even concerned with the big C church in all the world. I'm concerned with this church. I, I want to be the type of place where when people peer into Calvary Community Church, they go, there's something happening there. Somehow there's something different about those people. They're willing to live in grace and truth. They're willing to disagree with each other. They're willing to be friends with people who vote different and think different and talk different and look different than them. There's something different about Calvary than other places. 
Because again, the way we navigate storms, whatever that storm is, will witness to a watching world. It goes on this way in verse 37. It says, the furious squall, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So this is kind of the heartbeat of the story, right? Jesus says, let's go across the lake. And he knows exactly what he's leading them into and what he's leading them through. And they get out to the middle of the lake in this furious squall, this storm. It just starts to rage all over the lake. This is a scary moment for these people. It's a scary moment because they're used to being fishermen in sort of the shallow waters by the edge of the lake. But now they're right in the middle of it. That this squall comes up. It says it starts to storm. The waves break over the boat so that they're nearly swamped. And I think it's possible to read this story in such a way that your conviction becomes um, that the disciples were wrong to be afraid. I think it's possible to read this story and see how Jesus responds to them and think that the disciples' big mistake here was that they were afraid. But I'm not actually convinced that's the case. I'm not actually convinced the error for the disciples here was that they felt fear inside of them. I think this kind of fear would be natural. In fact, it would be sane in this moment. If you or I were out in the middle of a lake in a boat and water was starting to pour in such that we thought the boat was going to sink and we didn't feel afraid at all, that there might be something wrong with us. Like I don't actually think the big issue here is that the disciples felt fear. I don't think the big problem here is that they felt that emotion of fear that we've all felt when it just kind of comes up in our body. Like fear is one of these things we don't experience primarily in our mind. It happens in our gut, in our life, in our soul, in our body, and it wells up within us. So here's what I'm convinced of. It's true for the disciples. And I think I need to tell someone tonight that this is true for you. I don't think the question is, or I'll put it this way, the question is not, will I ever be afraid? I think some Christians have convinced themselves that if I'm really a Christian, if I really love Jesus, if I really trust God's plan for my life, I'll never be afraid. But I'm not convinced that's the case. Like I'm not convinced the case is that you have to train yourself to never ever be afraid of anything. See, I'm convinced the question is not, how will I, will I ever be afraid? The question is this, what will I do with my fear? What will I do with my fear when I feel it welling up in me? What will I do with my worry when I feel it overcoming me? What will I do with my anxiety about the future when I start to feel it gripping me? That's the question I want to answer tonight. See, I want to free someone from the thought that if you ever feel fear, it's because you don't trust God enough. No, I'm convinced that fear is something all of us feel. I'm convinced that fear is something all of us are going to experience throughout our lives. The key question isn't how do you make sure you never feel fear? The key question is, what do you do when it comes up? And I want to try to answer that question tonight a little bit. I want to try to wrestle with that question. When you feel afraid, when you feel anxious about the future, when you feel worried about something that's coming, what do you do with that fear? And I want to start with this claim. I want to start with this instruction. And you heard it a little bit in the video, but I want to continue to emphasize it here tonight. Number one is you want to name what you're feeling. You want to name it. You want to say it out loud. Maybe even say it to someone else. You want to put a word to it. I think so many of us, we're afraid of the future. We're afraid of something out there. We're worried about something that's coming. We're worried about something in this world, but we're confused about it because we haven't put words to it. We need to name what we're feeling. We need to say it out loud. For some of you, you are afraid to say that you're afraid because you think that makes you a coward, but that doesn't make you a coward. What makes you a coward is what you do or don't do with your fear. I see, you want to name what you're feeling. Let, let, let me show you a little bit what the disciples may have been feeling um, in this particular story. Um, the first thing they may have felt is worry. Um, worry is um, there's a storm coming, right? Like at some point, the disciples are out on the lake. They're in the middle of the lake and they can tell that a storm is coming. It's coming their way. Worry is when we see a storm coming. Worry is when you hear that there might be a recession. Worry is when you're aware that your family has a predisposition to a certain kind of disease or a certain kind of cancer, and so you're worried that you might get that someday. Worry is where your parents were divorced and her parents were divorced, and so you're not even certain you can pull off a marriage because that's not in your family history. It doesn't seem in the cards for you. See, worry is when we have a concern about something that seems far off. It's not yet arrived yet, and we start to worry about it. And some of you need to be able to identify that you are worrying about things that are still far off. You're concerned about things that haven't actually arrived on your shore. You're just aware that they're out there somewhere. See, the first is worry, and that's there's a storm coming. The second is this, it's fear. And that's when waves are hitting my boat, right? 
Like the first thing they see is the, is the storm and it's out there someday. And then what starts to happen is the waves start to splash up against their boat. That's fear. When the thing that's out there becomes in here. When there's a recession that might be coming, turns into your boss announcing to the company that there might be layoffs. When things seem like they could be bumpy in my family, turns into you see your parents' marriage struggling. When something that seemed far out there starts to impact you, you start to feel that fear. See, worry is there's a storm coming. Fear is the waves are starting to hit my boat. And then there's a third layer of it that some of you need to identify inside of yourself, and that's panic. And panic is my boat is sinking. Like again, worry is it's like out there somewhere and fear is like it's starting to collide with my world and panic is things are starting to fall apart and if something doesn't change soon, I'm not going to make it out of this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify it. I want you to put words to it. Maybe before some of you go to bed tonight, you actually need to write down somewhere, I am worrying about something that's far off. And when you actually say it, it's not hitting me yet. It's just far off right now. It allows you to create distance between you and that thing. See, I think what happens for some of you is there's an economic recession that might hit us at some point becomes this immediate thing where you're panicked over an economic recession or, or this fear you have that something might be real in your life. You suddenly start panicking because you believe it is. It's helpful to line out. It's helpful to define what you're actually feeling. Here's why. I've said this a few weeks before in this series. I want to continue to repeat it, that what you will not identify will only intensify. What you will not put to words will only get worse, okay? Like you identifying it, you calling it what it is. I'm worried about this. I'm afraid about this. You know what? This isn't worry or fear. This is panic because this really is in my life. This really is one of those moments where it's sink or swim. What you won't identify will only intensify. And I think for some of you, the first step to dealing with the fear in your life is having the courage and having the self-awareness to identify it within yourself before it gets worse and worse and worse. So once we've identified our fear, here's the next thing we want to do. We want to feed our faith and we want to starve our fear. We want to feed our faith and we want to starve our fear. We want to be the type of people who go, listen, I'm worried right now. I'm afraid right now. Maybe I'm panicking right now. So what's my first step? I want to turn up the volume on my faith and I want to turn down the volume on my fear. How do I do that? First, I want to feed my faith. I want to do things that I know are going to increase my faith. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to decide for a week that I'm not listening to anything but worship music. Not because if you ever listen to something that's not worship music, you're a bad Christian, but because this week I just need that right now. I'm going to fast. And like some of you have never fasted in your life, if you are afraid, if you are worried, if you are panicking about something right now, it is time to discover fasting. It's time to discover this gift that God has for you. That you would pray, that you would fast, that you would seek the Lord, that you would show up at church, even when you want to be alone, even when you want to push away, that you would show up at small group, that you would seek out wise people, that you would turn up the volume and feed your faith. And then what do we want to do with our fear? We want to starve it. But like your fear runs on certain kinds of things. And here's what we want to do. We want to starve it. We want to starve that fear and keep it from growing. Like, can I speak to some of you who might have some medical issue going on in your life? Can we all agree that the internet is a blessing and a curse when it comes to medical stuff, right? Like we can all agree that like learning something online about what you might have or what you do have can be a really helpful thing. Like, uh, like 50 years ago, they didn't have the internet and they couldn't Google like, why is my arm tingling, right? Like they don't know that. And on some level, like, what a bummer, because, like, their arm's tingling. What do they do? They, like, call the doctor? I, I don't know. Speak to a human? That's weird, right? Like, they can't Google it. But on the same time, like, 50 years ago, they didn't have the opportunity to Google, like, why is my arm tingling? And then they're like, death, right? Like, they're, 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 that's what happens to us. And so at some rate, you need to decide, like, some of you have researched this thing, and it's time to declare, I've researched it enough, and me researching it a little more is not going to help it anymore. I'm going to stop researching it. I'm going to stop Googling it. I'm going to stop looking into it. Some of you are afraid for the future of our state or of our nation or of our world. And sometimes you just need to turn off the TV. Okay. You need to stop reading the news. You need to stop looking for every little thing in this world that could possibly scare you. Cause I promise if you are looking for things to scare you, you'll find them. If you are looking for things to make you worried about the future of the United States or the world, you will find them. There is no shortage of authors who are willing to write pieces that make you afraid because if you don't know this, the news business thrives off making you afraid. That's what they thrive off, 
making you afraid and wanting you to see more and wanting you to click more and keeping your attention. There is no shortage of that happening in this world. Like, listen, I think for some of you, you have a friend and that friend calls themselves a realist, but they're really just negative. And they're really just bitter at the picking on someone. Someone's like, ah, excuse me. And, and, and like, hear me. Like, I think there's space and time for like people who are really going to tell you the truth. But I think there's also space and time for saying, I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. Because sometimes you're around someone and they just continue to drag you down. And every time you get around them, they point out all of the problems and they point out everything that's going wrong. You're at work with them. And every time you're around, they're like, our company's sinking. It's a ship. It's going down fast. And you kind of felt good about your day. And then you just feel gross the rest of the day. And now you're worried and afraid and anxious about the future. You're panicking because you're around that person. Like sometimes it's time to cut that person off. And then can I just give you some of the most freeing thing you'll ever do? Uh, This relates to social media. One of the most freeing things you will ever learn to use, a feature on most social media accounts is the mute button, okay? It is, oh, it's beautiful, let me tell you. Because like there's all this concern, like if I unfollow her, she'll know, like all that kind of stuff. Like this is beautiful. You continue to follow her, you just don't see what she says. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. You can just shut down the voices in your life that are drawing you into your tailspin. This is a beautiful thing. And if you have not made use of this future feature where you just stop listening to the people who are dragging you down, you're missing out on a blessing in life. Because let me tell you, if you want to deal with your fear, you're going to have to identify it. And then you're going to need to start feeding your faith and turning down, starving your fear. And sometimes that fear comes from internet sources. Sometimes it comes from thoughts in your own mind, but sometimes it comes from thoughts on other people. And then here's the final thing I want you to do. I want you to stop turning your fear into a fact. I need you to stop turning your fear into a fact because here's what happens sometimes. You're worried that something might happen. You're worried you might lose your job. You're worried that he might want to break up with you. You're worried that your parents might split up. You're worried that something might collapse in this world. And that worry actually turns into a fact. And do you know that our bodies will actually start experiencing it as if the thing you're fearing is already happening? Like some of you are living in a reality where your body is experiencing a fear that has never materialized and probably will never. Like you turn that fear into a fact. Well, like some of you, COVID just like blew up your career plans and your fear is you're never gonna get back on track and you're never gonna be able to advance like you thought you would. But some of you have turned that into a fact. You've just already resigned to like, life's going to be terrible. And like, I'm just always going to be in this place. You've turned your fear into a fact. Well, like some of you have some concerns about the guy you're dating or the girl you're dating right now. And you're worried about them. Maybe you're concerned that they might, that something happened or something's gotten weird there and you're not sure what to happen. And your fear has turned into a fact. Like, I just think there's so many ways this plays out in our life that we continue to turn these fears into fact. Like, what if I get sick turns into like, I'm probably going to be sick. What if things get worse, turn into things are horrible right now? But like for some of you, what if I'm never in a relationship has turned into, I will never get married. And and I think if you're living in that reality right now, I, I just need you to know that when you turn a fear into a fact, you're actually like establishing something in your body where you're starting to live out that truth. And I think the healthy way to deal with fear is to go, I acknowledge this fear. I see it. I'm going to feed my faith. I'm going to starve that fear. And I'm not going to pretend that just because I'm afraid of it, it's already happened. Like this is what happens for these disciples, that they're in the boat. We're actually going to see how they do this. They're going to turn their fear into a fact. We'll see what they do in just a moment. But I want you to know that this is what we do. And this is how we address it. Like you addressing your fear doesn't come from you pretending it's not there in the first place. Like you addressing your fear happens when you're willing to name it, to call it what it is, and to address it head on. Here's how it continues in verse 38. I want you to see what the disciples do. Verse 38, it says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. (laughs) It's like a boss move right here. It's just like he's sleeping, but like like Mark wanted to make sure everyone knew it wasn't like on his hands. It was a cushion. Like Jesus brought a cushion along and he's chill. He's good, right? Jesus on a cushion, like Tempur-Pedic, my pillow, right? Like, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like here's Jesus and he's sleeping on a pillow and they're like, wake up! And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Don't you care if we drown? What's their assumption? They're drowning. What have they done? They turned their fear into a fact, right? Their fear is that we're gonna drown and they already believe we're drowning and Jesus doesn't even care. We're about to go to the bottom of the lake and here you are sleeping on your pillow. What are you doing here? Jesus like, they've already done that. But like, listen, they've gotten so caught up in their fear. They've gotten so caught up in what's going on that they've forgotten something. You know what they forgot? 
they forgot what happened right at the beginning of the story. Do you remember whose idea it was to go across the lake in the first place? It wasn't their idea. It was Jesus' idea. Like Jesus said, let's go across the lake. And here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus says something, it happens. He's a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. When Jesus says this is going to happen, it always happens. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus makes them a promise. We're going to the other side of the lake. And they start to see something that is disrupting that promise. And they've turned their fear that that's not going to happen into a fact that they're going to drown. And here's what occurred. The disciples saw their problems, but they forgot the promise. They saw their problems, but they forgot the promise. And I think for so many of us, what can happen is we're going along and Jesus has made these promises to us. We see these promises from our Father and the Word of God. We see what God has promised to us. And along the way, it's so easy to get caught up in the things you're afraid of, the problems that present themselves to us, that we lose track of the fact that God has promised us good things. God has promised us all that he is, all of the inheritance of heaven. Like, listen to me. Let me speak to this community tonight. At the top of the night, we, we, we talked about um, someone who we know and love, who we lost this last week. Um, and, and, and Noah's life and, and the tragedy of how it ended and, and the tragedy of how we're handling right that, right? Like, this is, this is one of these things that no one expects, right? This is one of these things that no one's ready for. And listen, maybe you didn't know Noah at all, but would you imagine with me what it's like to have a friend and then you just say goodbye to him one day and then the next day doesn't wake up? That this is shocking. This is one of those things that really stretches our faith, right? It really pushes us to the breaking point. And I guess what I want to say to us tonight is um, if we're going to be the type of people in the midst of our problems who remember the promises of God, I want us to be the type of individuals who are honest about what God's promises are and what they aren't. Okay, um, when we come to the very real facts of losing someone we love, we have to come real close to the fact that Jesus never promised us that everything was going to be okay and we wouldn't suffer. Jesus never promised us that we were going to be invincible if we would just trust him and we, our lives would never be harmed and our lives would never be taken from us. I, I was actually listening to another preacher uh, preach on this text this week and he said something interesting. He said, if Jesus is in your boat, your boat's never going to sink. And I like that because it sounds nice, right? I want that to be true. I, I like that phrase because it sounds nice. And it sounds like, well, Jesus is with them and their boat didn't sink. And so if Jesus is in my boat, my boat's never going to sink. But here's the problem. Sometimes the boat sinks. Sometimes people pass away. Sometimes cancer wins. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes you lose your marriage. Sometimes you lose your child. Sometimes the boat sinks to the bottom of the lake. Because the great promise of God in the scriptures is not that your boat will never sink. The great promise of God in the scriptures is not that you will never suffer. The great promise of God in the scriptures is that your suffering is not in vain. The great promise of God isn't that you won't die. It's that death isn't the end. The promise for Noah wasn't that he wasn't going to die. The promise is that one day he'll be raised to the newness of life. That's the great promise of the gospel. The great promise of the gospel that we cling to. It's not that things won't ever go wrong. It's not that the boat won't sink. It's not that things won't go terribly wrong in this life. They might. The promise we cling to in the midst of the storm is that in the end, Jesus wins. And if we're with Jesus and we're in his boat, we might experience what looks like death and defeat. But just like Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the grave and it looked like death had won and it looked like sin and evil had conquered, we need to recognize that the great promise of God is that Christ wins, God gets the glory, and we reign with him forever. That's the hope we cling to. Like, listen, in the midst of now, where we grieve and we weep and we cry and we mourn and the storm's raging all around us and that day where we're raised from the dead and we rejoice and reign and we're with God forever and all of our tears are wiped away, in between now and then, here's what we need to continue to do. We need to continue to trust the heart of God. Because listen, whether it's the disciples in the middle of a lake or some of you here who are grieving tonight over a friend, um, sometimes in the midst of that grief, it's hard to see God's hand, Right? Like, what's God doing with this? Like, like, how is God involved in this? Why would God allow something like this? Why does God allow storms? Why does God allow death? Why does God allow cancer? Why does God allow people to lose their jobs or to get harmed or to get um, in, in some way abused? Why does this happen? And, and here's what the great preacher Sp Charles Spurgeon once said. He said this, that when we cannot trace his hand, 
we must trust his heart. We gotta trust his heart. We gotta trust the heart of the God who said you were worth sending his son to die for. Like God, we might not understand everything he's doing. We might not understand everything that goes on. We might not understand why the storms are going on or why we're heading into one right now. But every time we can't understand God's hand, we have to be a people who trust his heart. Uh, I wanna go on this way in verse 39. It says, he got up, this is Jesus, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So in other words, Jesus is sleeping. He's on his little pillow and he's asleep. And then they wake him up and they say, don't you even care if we die? Don't you even care if we drown right now? And Jesus gets up. And isn't it interesting that the first thing he does, is he doesn't snap his fingers, doesn't clap his hand, doesn't shoot lightning, doesn't like levitate the boat off the water. The first thing he does is what? He speaks to the weather. Isn't this interesting? It'd be like right now if it started raining and it was just like pouring on us suddenly. It was like, oh gosh, like we're not ready for this at all. None of us are dressed. We don't even own rain stuff, right? Like it's pouring rain out here, ruining the service, destroying a camera and all this expensive equipment. And then I was like, no, 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 everyone chill. And I was like, knock it off. And then it stopped. See, this is the story. Jesus yells at the weather and it works. It works. And the disciples must've been like, what? I can't believe that happened. You know, what's really interesting about even the language Jesus uses. He says here, he says, quiet, be still. If you actually go back in the gospel of Mark, that's the exact same thing he said to a demon. This demon is raging and he goes, quiet, be still, come out. Like in other words, Jesus has shown mastery over the demons. He's shown mastery over sickness and illness. Now he's showing mastery over the universe. What Jesus is doing at this moment is he is showing how absolutely unbelievably powerful he is. And his power comes not from something he does, but from something he says. Like Jesus speaks and reality itself changes. Do you recognize that the word of God is not just information for you? It is a reality changing experience that you can absorb into your life. Like, do you recognize that when Jesus Christ speaks, things change? Things change in your life. Things change in nature. Things change in the world. Things change in your household. Things change in our politics. Things change in our church. When Jesus Christ speaks, his word is authoritative and it's always accomplished. I think this is something for us to remember tonight, that the great climax of this story is not Jesus doing something. It's Jesus speaking and reality itself has changed. This is why in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. Like in other words, the great solution to the storm in this story was not Jesus doing something. It was the word of God who speaks. And I need you to know this, that if you're afraid, if you're worried, if you're anxious about something coming in the future, if you're panicked about something happening right now, I need you to know that your greatest need is the word of God. Your greatest need is a God who speaks. And when he speaks, things change in your heart and they change in your relationships and they change in your household and they change in this world. Like the greatest need you have is the word of God. To lean into it, to listen to what God has to say, to obsess over it, to care about it, to memorize it, to talk about it, to make it the lock screen on your phone, to talk about it every morning, to listen to scripture when you drive in the car off the Bible app. It's to do everything you can to get around the word of God. Like, listen to me, if you're worried right now, if you're anxious about the future, and maybe I'm not speaking to everyone, maybe some of you are just great right now, but if I'm speaking to you right now, I need you to declare war on your worry by knowing the word of God. I want you to declare war on it. Declare war on your worry. Don't just say, I'm always going to be a worrier. Aren't you sick and tired of being a worrier? Aren't you sick and tired of being scared of everything? Aren't you sick and tired of everything that happens you're anxious about? Declare war on it. Decide that you're going to slay it. Not by your own strength, but by the power of the word of God. And that very word of God who speaks, it changes reality itself. Become obsessed with the Bible. I know as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I'm up here like every week being like, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And sometimes it can be frustrating, but let me tell you, it's not so you can know more information. Like I'm not interested in you knowing a bunch of Bible trivia so that I'm like, who was this person's wife? And you're like, I know, like that's not what I want for you. I want you to experience the power of the word of God because when God speaks, reality changes. And I know this sounds so foreign to some of you and yet I wanna plead with you to try it to plead with you to lean into your Bibles, 
Not, not, not when you're worried, go read a verse about being anxious. Like just go read chapters and chapters of scripture. When you're worried, declare war on your worry through the word of God. It goes on this way in verse 41. It says, they were terrified. Isn't this interesting? Did you notice the shift? At first the storm is happening and they're terrified of the storm because there's a storm and it's gonna sink their boat. And then Jesus yells at the weather and everything goes calm. And suddenly they're scared, not of the storm, but of someone else. They're scared of Jesus. They're terrified of the presence of whom they're standing in. Like author and pastor Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. It says, it's one, it's one thing to meet the storm. It's another thing to meet the maker of the storm. Like it's one thing to meet a storm. It's the other to meet the one who can speak and it just goes quiet. Like this is the remarkable thing they're standing in front of. They're standing in front of Jesus and they are terrified. And let me tell you something, their terror here of Jesus, they're frightened, they're worried. They're standing in the presence of Jesus and they're afraid. And I wanna tell you something that might sound counterintuitive to some of you. I think this is the most beautiful part of the story. Because I think in this part of the story, they are finally coming to grips with a concept that the scriptures teach over and over and over and over again, that people living in the 21st century in America hate. And the concept, the phrase, the idea found all over the scripture is the fear of God. It's the fear of God. Uh, let me just read one verse and I could give you many on this. Um, l- l- Psalm chapter 33, verse eight says, let the earth fear the Lord, let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Like the idea is that you are called to fear God, that there should be something about God that terrifies you. And listen, pastors all the time get up in front of their congregation and they're like, listen, the fear of God doesn't mean fear. It means respect. It means you honor him. And I believe you should respect God. And I believe you should honor him. But this doesn't say respect him. And it doesn't say honor him. It means that there should be some fear of him. Because listen, every single time God shows up in the Bible, you know what people do? They fall on their face and they want to die because they're terrified at his holiness and his grandeur and his glory. That's what happens every single time. And so we are fools to believe that God is just this little buddy we bring around in our pocket, okay? We we are fools to think that God is not the dominant reality of the universe who if we saw face to face, we would melt like wax before him. And and listen, I wanna be extraordinarily clear. There is a way to fear God without fearing his punishment, okay? This is what people get mixed up all the time. Like I fear God, I just don't fear his punishment at all. Why don't I fear his punishment? It's not because I'm awesome and it's not because I've done everything right. It's because on the cross of Jesus Christ, he absorbed all the wrath of God like a sponge for me, okay? That's what he did. So there's no fear of punishment. Romans eight and verse one tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So your fear of God is not a fear that he's gonna punish you. Your fear of God is the fear and the reverence of the one who has made the entire universe that if you stood before you would be so overwhelmed with how big he is and how small you are. This is the fear of God. And it's taught throughout the Bible. And here's why I think this matters. Um, This isn't just like a nice idea. This isn't just like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to fear God. I think this actually dictates more decisions than you could possibly imagine. I think whether or not you fear God is actually obvious by the behavior and the activity in your life. Because here's the principle. I've taught this before. I'll teach it again for those of you who haven't heard it. Whatever you fear most will control you. Whatever you fear most will control you. It's like this. I've told you about my baby girl who's three years old. And uh, when she was real young, she fell on the playground, split open her chin, was bleeding everywhere. To bring her into a doctor's office, get her all stitched up in her chin. It was traumatic. It was horrible. And that was just for me, all right? Like for her, it was awful, okay? And she is just terrified of going into the doctor's office right now, right? Because every time she goes in, she thinks it's stitches time. Actually, the last time we got her in there and she felt fine. And then we had to lay her down for like the doctor, like check her out and do the physical. And she freaked out because she thought this is more stitches coming on my chin. See, see what happens there? She doesn't want to go to the doctor's office. Why? Because she fears getting stitches more than she fears not going to the doctor's office. Fear isn't just something we feel. It's something that controls us. It's not just something we experience. It's something that dictates our life. For some people, it's a fear of snakes. Like you're so afraid of snakes, you have never gone to Wildwood to go hiking, right? Because you're just terrified. One of those little guys is gonna be like, hello, right? Like you're just terrified, right? And so you don't go hiking. Some of you are terrified of spiders. So like if there was a hole in your backyard and you picked up a rock, you would never reach in there, right? Because it might just crawl up, right? Like that might happen. Or you're terrified of the dark, so you still have a nightlight and you don't wanna call it a nightlight because you're an adult. So you call it something else, like it's, it's my clock, right? Like that's what you do. You're terrified of the dark because what you fear most will control you. 
Like some of you are afraid of snakes, afraid of spiders, afraid of the dark. Listen, some of you are afraid of conflict. Yeah, yeah. You're afraid of conflict. So you never set boundaries and you never say no. You never say no to your boss or to your mom or your sister or your roommate because they're afraid if you set boundaries, there'll be conflict. So you might as well just give in and be, get along to get along because whatever you fear must still control you. Like some of you are terrified of criticism. So you never actually do anything bold and brave and, and spectacular in this world because that would mean putting yourself out there and allowing people to critique what you've done. And you're so afraid of being criticized that you never actually do that. Some of you are terrified of loneliness. Like you so desperately don't want to be alone that you're willing to date a guy you have no business dating because it would be easier for you to be in a terrible relationship than to be in none at all. Because whatever you fear most will control you. Some of you are afraid of your dad still. And listen, you should honor and respect your dad. But if you spend your entire life being afraid of your dad's opinion of you, you will take jobs, you will go to schools, you will marry people, you will live in places that you have no business being in. Because whatever you fear most will control you. Some of you are terrified of being poor, of being broke, of not making it in life. If I don't make it in life, then I'm a failure. And if I'm a failure, then I don't even know what I'm doing here. You're so terrified of that, that that dictates the jobs you take and the amount of money you give away and how generous you are with your friends. You're terrified because whatever you fear most will control you. So listen, my claim tonight is you shouldn't be afraid of anything. I like this message of like, you go, never be afraid. You just do it. You just conquer all your fears. I'm not telling you to conquer all your fears, but one. I'm telling you that when you have the fear of the Lord as the greatest fear in your life, you're okay walking into conflict because you know what God says about you. You're okay being criticized because you know what God says about you. You're okay being alone and not in a terrible relationship because you know your God is always with you. You're okay disappointing your dad because your heavenly father has thoughts about you and he's crazy about you. That's what ends up happening. Whatever you fear most will control you. Here's how the story closes out. Final verse here, it says, and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? <laughs> At the end of the story, they're terrified. They're going, who's this guy? Like he speaks and the weather stops. But here's what I think. I don't think they're actually wondering that. I think they know. I think they're asking this out loud because somewhere deep inside their soul, they know exactly who this is. See, these are good Jewish young boys and girls who grew up knowing the scriptures, knowing what was taught in the Old Testament, knowing what was taught about God. They know something that not every one of us would know here. And here's what they know. Psalm 135 verse seven, which they would have known says, he makes the clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning and the rain and brings out of the wind, the wind from his storehouses. Like in other words, who is this that controls the weather? They know exactly who it is that controls the weather. It's the Lord God of heaven, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, the God of their forefathers. They know exactly who does it. And in some mysterious way, this guy standing right in front of us is that God. This is the moment for them. This is a moment where they start to see Jesus for who he is. He's not just a teacher. He's not just someone who has good advice. He's not just some powerful healer. He's not just a charismatic leader. In some profound way, this man standing in front of us is God himself. You got to imagine this for these people that they're terrified of sinking in the water because Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And what they didn't realize is that God himself was in the boat with them. And so it's not that there was nothing to fear. It's that they didn't have to live in the paralysis of that fear forever. They didn't have to live in the paralysis of that fear because God was literally profoundly forever with them. Like, listen to me. Um, I, I think the error for them at this point was when they saw Jesus laying on the pillow, they thought, here's this teacher guy who was leading us out into the middle of the water. What they didn't realize was it's actually the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth. And here's the observation I make of these disciples, that, that our fear often reveals how small we think our God is, how tiny and minuscule we think our God is. Can I submit something to everyone here? God's bigger than you think he is. God's stronger than you think he is. God is more majestic and holy and grand than you have ever imagined him to be. And whatever little box you put God in, he shatters his way through it. Because here's the God of the universe in human flesh, and they couldn't have possibly imagined how that would happen. But here he is standing right in front of them. And if they could go back and do that moment over, it's not that they wouldn't have felt fear with the wind and the waves and their boat sinking. It's that they would have looked at the one in front of them and realized, if he's with us, we're going to be okay. If he's with us, I can be confident. So here's where confidence comes from. Confidence comes from considering Jesus. 
from looking to Jesus, from seeing him for who he is, for seeing him in all of his glory and his grandeur and his goodness and his strength and his power and his might. That's where confidence comes from. Confidence comes when we walk into worship and we set our eyes, not on everyone who's around us singing, not even what's happening on this stage, but when we set our eyes on Jesus and we turn our hearts and attention to him. When that happens, confidence is built in us. Like, listen, confidence doesn't come from all of your problems going away. Confidence doesn't come from you never being afraid of anything in this world. Confidence comes from me going, I'm afraid right now. I'm worried. I'm worried about something that's happening. I'm worried about this diagnosis. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about the world. I'm worried about everything. But there's a God who is so much bigger than all of this. And he is standing right in front of me. In fact, the scriptures say that if we are a Christian, if we know Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Christ lives inside of our bones. He's closer than our very breath. So what do I want you to do if you're afraid, if you're worried? I don't have a five-step process for you. I don't have a breathing technique. I don't have some sort of journaling activity. All those things are fine and go do them. I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to look to him. I want you to think about him. I want you to set your eyes on him. Jesus, the author and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, I want you to consider Jesus. And here's specifically how I want to do this. I don't know that I've done this before. Um, I want to do this tonight. I want to challenge everyone here who is walking in fear, who is walking in anxiety, who is walking in worry about the future, I want to challenge you to memorize a Bible verse. I want to give you a verse, and I want you to memorize it. We're going to post this every day this week on our social media. We're going to put it out there. We're going to talk about it all week. It's going to be out there. I want someone to memorize this. I want you to commit it to your heart. I want you to put it inside of you so that you can think about Jesus. I've read this verse already tonight. I'll read it again. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Go memorize this verse this week. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Go memorize that this week. Put that into your heart. Be able to say that word for word from memory. Because when we start to look to Jesus and who he is, the exact representation of God's being, the exact manifestation of God, he is the powerful one who sustains all things, which include your life and mine in this world and this church and your family. When he sustains all things by his powerful word, I believe that confidence will build in you when you consider Jesus and who he is. I don't know who's going to take me up on this this week, but I challenge someone to take me up on this, to memorize this verse, to commit it to your life. So as you experience fear, you might consider Jesus along the way. Let's pray. Our band's going to come up and we're going to have the opportunity to set our eyes on Jesus, to look toward him. Um, and then this not the way we should, by focusing our hearts and our minds and our attention on the God who's nearer than our very breath. God, thanks for tonight. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the opportunity to gather here in this courtyard, gather here on this patio. Father, I pray for anyone here tonight who's afraid, who's worried, who's anxious about the future, who's even panicked about something that's happening right now. God, I pray in some mysterious way that your presence would meet them. I actually pray that before they get to their car tonight, that you would encounter them in power. God, we're not just asking for information tonight. God, we want you to meet us here. We need your presence. We need more of your love. We need more of your goodness. We need more of your favor to fall upon us. So God, fall upon us now. Meet us in this place. May the heartfelt praise of your people from this patio tonight honor you and may it fill us with a sense of your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus and everyone agreed and said real loud, amen. <laughs>